if you were with us on the first Sunday of this new year, we talked about who we were in Christ. Then the second Sunday, we talked about who we are as a church, and we looked at our five core values. And then last week, of course, we looked at our, our standards of what we want to do as a church and our behaviors and what we want to strive for. And if you're new to our church or maybe you haven't uh, listened to those sermons, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, uh, you can go to our website, um, we're on YouTube, um, we're on different programs that you can see whether you want to listen to it or you actually want to see it. Um, there's ways that you can look at those things for you. And, and uh, I want to encourage you to look at those things. But today I want to minister to you from God's word on why do we exist? Why, why does the church of Jesus Christ exist, especially this church? And what is our mission? What is our assignment? Now, how many of you have ever been on a mission? Or, have you, or maybe you've been on an assignment. What I mean by that is maybe you've been on a mission for the armed forces. Maybe there was something that you had to do in the Army, the Navy, the Marines, or the Coast Guard, or, or the Air Force, or something like that. Or maybe there was an assignment you were asked to do for your job. Someone asked you to do something. Or maybe you were on a mission to buy that car, or, or that used car, or whatever it may be. Or maybe an apartment, or, or to buy or rent a house at a certain price range. And you were on an assignment, and you were on a mission to find that place. As a matter of fact, some of you that have lived in San Diego, you remember when you signed that contract for that house that you paid $50,000 for. Some of you are like, I wish that was around now, especially in San Diego, California, San Diego County. Perhaps you had an assignment for a class like a science fair project. I remember one time when I was in seventh grade, I wanted to do a science fair project on how tornadoes were developed, and I had to get my four glass sheets and make sure there were slits in it and, and have the fire and the smoke come up and then have a little fan that would make it look like a, a tornado and I had to do research and all that stuff. And I thought, God, if I can just get through this seventh grade science fair project, I'll make it in life. And then there's other things that happen that are beyond that and so forth. Or maybe it was a major assignment or a major paper you had to do in college. Like we had to do a, a paper on, uh, uh, we took a class on hermeneutics and I did it on uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And my, my final turn-in of that paper was 150 pages long. And uh, there was classes that I know we were a part of at, at Bethany College where Therese and Tony and I went to school and so forth. But there were major papers that you had to do. Or like many of you, maybe you recall in the early stages of the pandemic in March, April, and May, your loved ones or your family or people that you were looking at or calling or whatever, all of us were on an assignment to find toilet paper. Do you remember that? All of us were on an assignment to find distilled water. I remember one time I was going to find distilled water for my family. I must have gone to like eight different grocery stores. And then on the way back, Michaela and I just decided to stop at, at um, Lassen's or Jimbo's. I can't even remember the name of the place. And, and they had two bottles of distilled water. I'm thinking, why didn't I go to that place first? I went to Stater Brothers. I went to Tijuana. I went, no, I went everywhere to try to find that. And all of us know what that's like or what that was like at the beginning of that pandemic. Or maybe you've been on a mission uh, with your girlfriend that she would say yes to you on that specific day that you wanted to ask her to be your wife. Maybe you remember that moment. Maybe you remember that assignment. Or perhaps you are on a mission looking for a particular gift for someone that you love, like your children, your spouse, or a friend or whatever for their birthday or their anniversary. Christmas. You know, there was a movie called uh, Jingle All the Way. Maybe you saw it or maybe you remember it with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was out to find Turbo Man, you know, whatever it may have been for his, for his son and his wife's like, you got the Turbo Man doll? And he goes, of course I got the Turbo Man doll. And of course he waited till the last second to get the Turbo Man doll. I mean, maybe you've seen that movie or something like that. But I remember back in the days, not when the Atari 2600 came out, some of you are not, I'm going way back, but there was a, there was a game console called the Nintendo Wii. 
Does anyone remember the Nintendo Wii or you've heard about the Nintendo Wii? Well, when that thing first came out, that was the toy to get. And I wanted to try to get that for my girls because I know they wanted it. Unfortunately, I could not find that thing anywhere at Christmas. But I found it during Valentine's Day. I didn't give up on my mission of trying to find that thing. And one time, uh, before I took my daughters some, school, uh, some lunch at their school, I stopped at the local Burger King. There was this GameStop place or whatever it may have been. And I walked in, and I felt even stupid asking them because every place I've gone to, I'm like, do you have the Wii? And they just laugh at me like, where are you? What planet are you from? Do you not know this is the hottest game right now? And I just walked in and I said, I, I, I feel stupid even asking you guys, but do you have a Wii? And they go, yeah, we actually have one. And I was like, am I on Fantasy Island? Where's Mr. York and Tattoo the Plane? You know, whatever. I was like, this can't be. And they're like, they actually had one. And they didn't jack up the price or anything like that. They just got one in from that someone brought that they didn't even use. Or, and I was like, I'll take it. And so I finally accomplished what I was hoping to do. But it took a while. It didn't happen overnight. And I remember, we still have the Wii. That's like the only game thing that we have right now in our house. I mean, I don't like the games that they have now. There's too many buttons. I don't know how to play them, you know, something like that. But it's, it was an incredible gift that we found. And maybe you remember when you were on a mission. Maybe you remember when you were, were on an assignment to find something and you found it. How did you feel when you found it? You felt so proud. You felt like, man, I, I arrived and all that stuff. And, and when Jesus was on this earth, his mission was simple. He had simple mi mi missions of why he was here. First of all, he was here to testify about the truth. He was here to testify about the truth. Matthew 18, 37 says, Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. He's talking to Herod. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And we know that God is the way, the truth, and the life. And he also came to reach sinners more than righteous people. He came for the sick more than the healthy. And in Mark 2, 17, when Jesus heard this, he told him, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He came to set the captives free. And he came to die on a cross for our sins, even when he necessarily didn't want to go through the, the scorn, the shame, and the pain. In Luke 22, 42, it says, Father, if you are willing, and I walked the, 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 the area of Gethsemane, and it was an emotional time when I went to Israel, and I experienced that thing, and I thought to myself, who knows where Jesus could have been saying these words when he said, Father, if you're willing... Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He was on a mission. He had an assignment. And when Jesus lived on this earth, he performed a lot of miracles, especially you read about them in the Gospels. He, had a, he was an amazing communicator who could keep people's attention span while he was presenting the word of God or, or God's words and parables and teachings. He was compassionate when he needed to be, yet he was bold and stern when he needed to be as well. Now, back in the days when Jesus lived on this earth, unfortunately, there was one disease. Everyone say one disease. There was one disease that people were scared of just like our culture became when they heard of COVID-19 early in the months of 2020. Now, do you know what that, that disease back in the days of Jesus was? Maybe you do or you don't, but let me tell you what it was. It was called leprosy. It was called leprosy, and it was a terrifying disease that gradually left a person disfigured through the loss of their fingers. Just look at your fingers for now, if you can, or your toes, and eventually they lost their limbs, and there was no cure for leprosy back then. 
Now, if someone, can get, if, if someone got this contagious disease of leprosy, the priest believed that the person was, uh, was experienced a punishment for a particular sin or sins in their life and that it was a divine curse on their life. So the priest literally would label that person a leper. They would label them a, a leper and they would banish them from living in their homes and in the city they lived in. Talk about having to social distance. Talk about quarantine. This is probably where they came up with the, with the idea that we're dealing with today in our culture when you look at these people back then. And basically a leper who would become an outcast to society. That's what a leper was. They were an outcast to society and they lived in community with other lepers that would eventually die. Because they, they lost the ability to feel pain. Some of you don't like the pain that you're going through. Some of you don't like to experience pain. But let me tell you something. Pain is a blessing. Because if you put your hand on the stove and you're just like, you're going to start smelling something that does not smell good. But when you put your hand on the stove and it's like, ah, you felt that pain from that fire. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing that we go through what we go through, but it's a good thing sometimes. But eventually, these people died from this horrible disease, but somehow a particular leper heard about who Jesus was and that he was coming down a countryside with a multitude of people. And so he did something that no other leper did, and that was he left his community, he left the place where he was quarantined to do the unthinkable and to do the unimaginable, and we read about it in Matthew 8, 1 through 3. And so if you're able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And we're going to read this story. It'll be up on the screen. And we're going to read it together loud and proud. So let's do this right now as it comes off. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. Can we give God praise? That's awesome. That's incredible. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit has to do. Holy Spirit, touch every heart, every mind, that they have a mission, that they have an assignment from you for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I love about this teaching what I love about this teaching on the life of Jesus and the miracle of what he did is before Jesus physically healed him, which he could have done from a distance, which he could have done from six feet apart or whatever, Jesus restored him relationally, Jesus restored him emotionally, and Jesus restored him socially by doing one thing. What did he do? He reached out and touched him. I love what it says in Matthew 8, 3, that Jesus reached out and touched him. Even though the leopard had a contagious disease and showed signs of the deadly disease, Jesus didn't socially distance himself when he came to him like everyone else was doing back then. When we reach out for something, it usually requires action. Think about this for a moment. When we reach for something, it usually requires action. Have you ever thought about how many things we reach out for a day? As I was preparing this message, I just started thinking about, well, what, what do I experience? What do you experience? What do we usually reach out for? Well, we reach out to turn off that, the, light, the lamp light, uh, the light stand next to us in our bedrooms. 
We reach out to hit the snooze button maybe three or four times when we're supposed to get up that first time or, or shut off the alarm clock. We reach out for our cell phones. We reach out for our wallets or our purses or our keys many times in a day. We reach out with our hands to open and close a door to grab the remote control devices near our TV or, or our couch. We reach out for our water bottles to drink something. We reach out with our arms and hands wide open to hug someone. We reach out to start our cars by pushing a button or putting a key in the ignition or like anyone who has ever had a baby, we reach out our arms when that child is going from one parent and, and coming towards us and we put our hands out so that they'll come to us and we can embrace them and we can take pictures and post them on Facebook or social media and say, our kid is walking, help us, pray for us now. Reaching is also defined as arriving at something. Reaching is also defined as achieving something or giving help or understanding to someone else. An example of reach is when you get that job you always wanted. Or, or an example of reach is when you help a, human, a fellow human in need. So why do we as, exist as a church? This church, as the 17th lead pastor, has had 16 previous pastors before me. In 100 years of existence this year. And let me tell you something. Every single one of these pastors, no matter how long they were here, whether they were here for a year, six months, five years, seven years, 30 years, or whatever it may be, they all had a mission of why God called them to serve that church for such a time as this. And seven years ago, along with our staff, we began to pray about what our mission is as a church. And three words began to resonate in our spirit. Reach, build, and influence. Everyone say that with me. Reach, build, and influence. Three words. And those three words were defined by who our target audience was. And do you know who our target audience is? It's you. It's us. It's people. People are the audience that we want to reach. So let's break down these three words today as we discuss what our assignment, our mission is as a church. And the first thing is this. We exist to reach people with God's love. We sang about that in the last song, that there's something about the love of God, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the love of God. But have you ever thought about what is so powerful and what is so amazing about this love of God? Have you ever, maybe you've ex experienced, but let me tell you something. God's love never, ever, ever fails. It never fails. It's unconditional with no strings attached. It, it sticks closer than any brother. It, it casts away all fears and doubts. It is sacrificial as God's only son, Jesus, died on the cross. And nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. The love of God endures forever. Did you know that? His love makes us alive. His love is unmistakable. And anyone who loves him has been born of God and should know God because God is love. God is love. And if you think about it, friends, all of us have done something when it comes to that word reach. I remember when I went to Bethany College and I, I was looking through the yearbook and just, you know, I was new to the school, didn't know a lot of people, and I was flipping the pages and then all of a sudden, boom, who's Therese Marie Tarantino? And, of course, my buddies Vito and Tony were friends with her. And I was like, what is this, the Italian mob, you know, the Italian Bible college or something like that? And they said, wait, 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 why do you want to know about Therese? You know, like they were protecting her. I said, I don't know, but she looks beautiful. I'd like to meet this girl. Well, they said, well, we're friends with her. We can do that for a small fee. No, I'm kidding. And I remember when I, when I saw her in the dining commons and, or I saw her at a softball game that we were playing with co-ed and all this stuff, and I was just like, I got to get to know this girl. Now, as a man, I had to reach out to her. And the first time I met her, I, I, I swung and I missed, man. 
I was trying to be Joe Cool, and I looked more like Charlie Brown. I was like, I was just not doing it. But as I began to grow in the Lord, and I began to trust the Lord, the next semester, of course, uh, we met and talked a little bit more and got to know one another. And there was this junior-senior banquet, like, at our school. And, of course, it was in January, and the, the event wasn't until the spring. But I, I had to ask her out. And it was halftime between the Washington Redskins and the Buffalo Bills and the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. And, of course, we know who won because the Bills still don't have a ring um, from the Super Bowl after four tries. So we went down to Vine Hill, this elementary school. We were throwing the ball, playing football and talking. And on the way out, I reached out and I asked her to the JSB. And she said yes. Because if she didn't, I had that football. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know? And so, uh, you know, she said yes. And I said, well, you know, it's three months away and... You know, it would be kind of awkward if we waited three months to go out. So would, would you go out with me on a date? I was on an assignment. I was on a mission. And she said yes. And the rest is history. Reaching takes action, friends. This church reached out to 16 previous pastors. And now this guy, the 17th previous pastor and their families. And this church had to reach out through a pulpit search committee or through a board or through a congregation to vote. And, will, and they were all willing to take a risk when it came to bringing that candidate to be the pastor of their church. They had to reach out. Somebody called me. Somebody told me. Somebody told me about you. And then someone told me about y'all and, and so forth. But again, it took reaching out. If you think about it, reaching people always or usually starts with a risk. Reaching people always starts with a risk. Think about it. When Jesus reached out and touched the leper, he took a risk. He could have, met, in that moment, all the people would have said, <gasps> he, did, he did what? Oh, his ministry's through. His church is done. We're out of here. He touched the leper. He took a risk. Think about when Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket among the reeds in the Nile River. She had her servant girl bring it to her. And, she, and when she opened the basket, she saw a baby crying and she took a risk and named it Moses and kept the child as her son. She took a risk. When the four friends took their paralytic friend to Jesus, they took a risk and they ripped the roof open to someone's home that wasn't even theirs. And they lowered Jesus down. They lowered him down to Jesus so he could be healed. When Nehemiah left the palace and went back to Jerusalem, he took a risk to save the people in the land of Judah who were in, dist in distress. And all those people from Jesus, Pharaoh's daughter, the four paralytic friends, Nehemiah, they all had one thing in common. Do you know what it was? They took a risk. They took a risk. And as a church, when we reach people, we have to be willing to take a risk more than ever before. There may be things that we're called to do as a church, whether give of our time or our talents or our treasures, and we may be taking a risk in the process, but we've got to do that for whatever it takes to reach people with God's love. Amen? Now, how many of you have ever heard the story about David and Jonathan? David and Jonathan were, were, were kingdom chums. They were friends in the Old Testament. And we read about them, but perhaps you haven't heard about David and Jonathan, or maybe you forgot about them. Let me give you a, a brief synopsis of their relationship as we get ready to go into our second assignment in a minute. Now, how many of you ever heard the saying that opposites attract? You know what I'm saying? Teresa's a San Francisco 49er fan. Back in those days, back in, I was a, a Raider fan, but I got saved, and now I'm a Steeler fan. I went back to the Steelers and so forth, so I, I left them back in, I think it was 1988. I just had enough of them with Al Davis, and I was like, I'm done with them. So I abandoned ship. But talk about opposites, San Francisco, Oakland, and so forth. And, 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 and David and Jonathan were like that. They were two very different guys. You can read about them in, in 1 Samuel, but David was a shepherd. Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had a whole armor. David had a harp and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in a palace 
and was trained in the art of war. David grew up in the little town of Bethlehem and was trained to tend sheep. Talk about opposites. Jonathan was the oldest son in line to inherit the throne. David was the youngest of eight boys and anointed the next king in place of Jonathan. Jonathan was from the tribe of Benjamin, and David was from the tribe of Judah. But despite their differences, they arguably were the best of friends that the world has ever known. And even though Jonathan and David came from two very different backgrounds that I just read to you, they had a few things in common, and that is that they were both warriors. They were both men of faith, and they were, ser- and they were willing to serve the living God. And they were provided with God-given courage and strength, but they needed one another. They needed one another in that process. And this is a story of such an incredible testimony of friendship and loyalty and faithfulness. And let me remind you, church, to choose friends who will help you find strength in God. Do you have friends that are helping you in in, in finding strength in God? And, And not only that, but are you a friend who helps others find strength in God? Because true Christian friends will always move you to God. Think about that. I don't think I've ever met anyone that has an ungodly friend that has drawn them close to the Lord in that relationship throughout the years. No, they, it usually makes them get away from God. And I love what it says in 1 Samuel 23, 16. It says about these two friends, it says this, Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. I think that's awesome. You see, our second mission is this. We exist to build people through God's word. We exist to build people. Everyone say build. To build people through God's word. And I would also add, and with community and with relationship. And what I love about David and Jonathan is that they encouraged each other and they built one another up in their relationship. They trusted one another. They were close confidence. Whatever David uh, told Jonathan, it was confided and it went nowhere else but there. I love that. That's, that's important to have those type of people, whether it's your spouse or it's your dad or it's someone in the church or whatever it may be. But they built each other up in God and from the words from God. And today we have God's word. They had the law. They, had, they didn't have the full word of God like we have. And, and we have the word of God to guide us. We have the word of God to assist us. But we're not meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it in community with one another. You see, what I love about God's word is it shows us how to be like Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, get into the Word. If you, what I love about God's Word is it directs us on becoming wise. I hear people pray, ask this all the time, hey, how can I pray for you? I need wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. That's great, but if you don't get in the Word, you're never going to understand what wisdom's all about. I can pray for it, but you've got to get in the Word. But God's Word directs us on becoming wise with our choices as we choose to obey His ways more than what we desire. God's Word provides us with nourishment. God's Word provides us with encouragement that we need. God's Word can transform us in the renewing of our minds where we, we exchange these toxic thoughts that we talked about in our men's Bible study and, and we, we, we replace it with the truth of God's Word. Those are things that God's Word, His Word generates life in us. His Word makes us complete why do I believe that? 1 Peter 1.15 says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Hebrews 12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing souls and spirits and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Luke 11.28 says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What does it say in 2 Timothy 3.15 and 17? And from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are about to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? Somebody give him praise in this place. Amen. You know, some of us are so thankful that we have on our phones GPS. And that's what the word of God is. It's God's plan of salvation. Of salvation. This is our GPS. This is what helps us to navigate through all those things. And with God's word and having community with one another, we build one another up just like Jonathan and David did. When we do life together in good times and in bad times, here's what happens. We begin to develop authentic relationship and accountability. I didn't know Daniel Farmer that much, but I went and had golf with him and Pastor Tony and a friend of mine that used to be at our old church. And as I heard his testimony on driving to Temecula, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. This guy's got a, an amazing testimony of God's grace and mercy. There's so many people in this church that when, when you have lunch or you, you get to know someone, you begin to develop authentic relationship and accountability. And when, another thing is when we build people in God's word, it creates a safe place where we can be honest, where we can be genuine and transparent with one another. And, it's, and you're not judged. You're just like, hey, we're only human. We make mistakes, but we're going to grow and we're going to learn from those things. Even if someone comes to this church, listen to me, church, even if someone comes here and doesn't believe what we believe in, the key is feeling a part of, a part of something is you got to keep showing up. And that person might be continually showing up each week or to your Bible study and they may not have a relationship with Jesus yet or maybe even believe what we believe, but eventually what that person seeks, they are eventually going to find in what they're looking for in Christ Jesus. I've seen it played over and over again in those times. You see, friends, the capital C church, including ours, should grow bigger and bigger. Why? Because every person in that city or that region or that town or that neighborhood matters to God. But on the flip side of that other side of the coin, the capital C church, including ours, should be growing smaller and smaller. Well, pastor, that doesn't make sense. How can we get bigger if we're, if we're growing smaller? No, you will get bigger if you grow smaller because what happens is you build community by participating in a small group or, or maybe a connect group on Sunday mornings or Thursday nights or other groups that meet perhaps that are meeting in homes. I know some people don't want to meet in homes right now, whatever it may be, but the bottom line is why do we get together? Because you matter. People matter, and we all matter to God, and we matter to one another. You need a place where people know your name. You need to go to a place where people know your name. And if, and if you've been coming to this church for a while, and you're like, you know, no, one's, no one knows my name. The question is, if you've been doing your part too? Because I remember when I was a kid or a teenager, my mom would say, how was youth tonight? I hated it. Why did you hate it? No one talked to me. Well, why didn't no one talk to you? Because they, they, were, they weren't nice. Well, how did you respond? When they said, hey, how was your day? What did you say? I said, fine. When they said, what school do you go to? I said, San Antonio Christian School. And so you were giving them short, snappy questions or answers to their questions. I said, yeah. Then who would, I wouldn't want to talk to you either. And so she goes, the problem is not the, the people in that church or the youth group. The problem is you. It's your attitude. You need to change. You need to grow up. And I'm so thankful for my mom who was training me in the ways of the Lord. Because you know what? She was right. I was blaming everyone in the youth group for not accepting me when I wasn't even accepting them because of my rotten attitude. And we've got to watch it. We've got to watch those things, friends. They're important. 
But you see, you need a place where people know your name. And when I finally changed and God touched my heart at that camp, God began to have something happen in my life. And I started getting involved in the youth group. I started serving in ministry. I got involved in leadership. I did all sorts of things. And I began to grow in community and relationship. And instead of hating going to youth group, I loved it. As a matter of fact, I was at the church so much that my parents were kind of like, when are you ever going to be home? You're always at the church, you know. It's as if God was preparing me for what was going to happen someday in my life. But you see, friends... What happens is this, is when, when we, when not only people know our name, but they love you no matter what you're going through, that's how we build people up. That's how we build people up, especially in God's word, through developing community and friendships with each other. When we begin to understand how God's word applies to our everyday lives, and we, we encourage one another as we, we pursue God individually or relationally or corporately, something begins to happen. It happens. And that is we begin to grow in the Lord and in community with each other. That's why it says in Proverbs 27, 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And the last thing is this, or let me just say this. But like Jonathan and David, building people requires sacrifice. You see, to reach people, you got to be willing to take a risk. But to, to build someone up, it takes sacrifice. Jonathan ended up protecting David, and Jonathan ended up protecting and saving his life. Instead of Jonathan feeling insecure or threatened by young David because of his success or his good looks or being a hero, Jonathan loved David, and David loved Jonathan. And throughout any relationship for it to grow, sacrifices have to be made. You know, there's some people in this room that have been married over 50 years. I bet you along the way there's been some sacrifices made. 60 years. For this church to be 100 years old, there was probably some sacrifices that had to be made. You had to give up to go up. You had to do certain things. And building people requires sacrifice at times. So let's continue to strive to be a church whose mission is to build people up in God's word and in community with one another. It's important that we have that. We just don't want to be a friendly church, but we want to be a church where people make friends and grow in God's word together. And the last thing I want to look at is, is young Timothy. Young Timothy in the New Testament. Paul was someone in his life who became a mentor, who became a model, who became a minister to Timothy. And Timothy needed the encouragement and the support that he inspired because, let's be honest, we all need that. We all need someone to encourage us. We all need support. We all need to be inspired in whatever it is that we're dealing with. Regardless of our age, God wants to continue to use us for his glory and to advance his kingdom. So no matter what your age is, no matter whether you're young or you're old, God wants to use you for his glory. I love what 1 Timothy 4.12 says. It says, don't let anyone think of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in purity. Think about that, friends. So here's at City View Church, our third mission is simple. We exist to make people influencers for God's kingdom. Now, Paul knew Timothy would gain the respect of his peers and his, especially his elders from their conduct. And Timothy would become influential when he became a good example by what he said, by how he lived, and how he loved others, and what his character revealed no matter what, what, what came his way. And again, like I said, don't ever look at your age as a cap on how influential you can be for God's kingdom. Why? Because influential people always lead by examples. Influential people always lead by examples. 
When as a church and fellow Christians encourage others inside this building or outside this building, like where we work or where we go to school or in the neighborhoods we live in or even with our family or those people, those people will eventually love being with you and want to know and hear more about your faith. Why? Because eventually they'll respect you just like they did young Timothy. When we're patient with others who don't see things the way we see them, talk the way we talk, conduct themselves like we conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, and we monitor our expectations of them by re- literally revising them or lowering them down by, by depositing seeds of love and compassion and grace and mercy, the Lord will open doors for us to, to, to influence their lives with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's through your testimony, whether it's through random acts of kindness, whether it's sharing the truth of God's word to them by sharing who he is and what he's done in your life. I mean, just look at Esther. Look at Esther in the Old Testament, how God used her to influence the king, the king to deal with evil Haman. And she trusted God's timing. She was patient to deliver and protect the people of Israel from a madman like Haman, who literally wanted to destroy her and her uncle Mordecai and her people. But she was patient. I love it when we be, remain bold, courageous, and we don't compromise our core values, our standards, our convictions, our behaviors as the people of God. And what happens is people will eventually see that, and, and our influence will begin to grow among our culture when they see that. I mean, look at the boldness Daniel made being willing to be thrown into a lion's den because of his convictions. Look at Elijah, whose courage caused him to defeat some combined 800-plus prophets versus one man from that battle, but yet from what God did, God was chosen to be worshiped by all. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who did not comply and eventually were thrown in a fiery furnace, and they remained faithful to their convictions, and God was with them, and from their standard and from their boldness, they changed the trajectory of where they lived in that region for God's glory, and people followed God. What did all those people have in common? They were influential because of their example. Because of their example. And the Lord wants to use our example. Example is to be people of influence as we expand the kingdom of God. So why are we here? We want to reach people with God's love. We want to build people through God's word. And we want to influence people to expand God's kingdom. That is what our goal is. And if we all row in the same direction, God can do incredible things. But when your paddle is this way and my paddle is this way, We're just going to go in circles and get nowhere. I don't think there's a people, there's not a person in this room that would say, Pastor, I don't want to reach people with God's love. I think we all agree with that. I think we all want to be, we all want to build people up in God's word and in community with one another. I don't think there's a person that wouldn't disagree with that. And I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't want to use their example and their influence to expand God's kingdom, just like those Daniel, Elijah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so forth did for God's glory. So as every head is bowed and eyes are closed, as we run, we shall not be weary. When we walk, we will not faint. And as we wait upon the Lord, he shall renew our strength. The key is we don't give up, but we stay the course. We run the race. We follow our mission and we trust the Lord because the best is yet to come. I didn't find that we when I should have found it. It wasn't under the tree, but I kept on pursuing and eventually I found it. And that is what's gonna happen in the life of this church. So my question to you this morning is this, what is God calling you to do more? 
when it comes to the mission of City View Church. Maybe you're like, I didn't know that was our mission. It's on our website. It's all over the place you go. You'll see banners. You'll see signs. It's going to become ingrained in your spirit, I believe. We have got to reach, build, and influence. But is it reaching people with God's love? Is, is that something that the Lord is calling you to do more of? Or maybe it's building people in God's word or in community with others by maybe engaging in a Bible study or a small group or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's using your influence. Maybe it's using your, your godly example to expand the kingdom of God. Maybe you want to take more risk for God. Maybe you want to grow more in his word and in relationship with other people. And it's going to cause you to sacrifice Or maybe you want to be more of a godly example to others, just like young Timothy was trying to be in in what he said and and what he did and and how he acted and so forth. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ or you want to rededicate your life back to the Lord instead of being on this religious road. You want to have a real, authentic relationship with God. Once again, I want to pray for you. I want to believe that in the name of Jesus, Just like when Jesus touched that leper and made him whole, that you will become whole, that you will become cleansed, that you will experience the power of the Spirit of the living God. So if you're able to, would you stand with me in this time of reflection as we worship the Lord? And maybe one of those questions hit you, not to hurt you, but to heal you, and you realize, you know what? Pastor, I want to take more risks for God this year. I want to be more sacrificial. Or maybe I want to be more influential through my example or I don't know what it may be but God is tugging at your heart not to hurt you but to heal you and to remind you that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it so Father right now if you're willing to just put your hands in front of you stretched out say Lord if you can use anything you can use me so Father I pray right now for my brothers and my sisters we have a mission we have an assignment maybe it's a co-worker who doesn't know Jesus maybe it's someone in our homes that, that doesn't have a relationship with God Help us to reach out to them, to invite them. And even if they say no, the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time, help us to not give up because you never gave up on us, Jesus. Lord, maybe this is a year that we want to we bring someone to the cross and we want to lead someone in the prayer of salvation. Maybe we've never done that. And this is the year you're saying, I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. I want to share my testimony with someone. And whether I'm the the planter or I'm the waterer or I'm the harvester, God, use me this year in that that gathering with that family reunion or whatever it may be, Jesus, or at my school or whatever it may be. We have the answer. We have the antidote. We've got to share it. We've got to bring it to people. We build them up in the things of you. So, Father, I pray for boldness. I pray for patience. I pray for a spirit of love, Lord God, to be girded in your truth, Lord Jesus, as we grow in your word and the power of your might, God. Lord, if you can use anything, you can use us. And with our arms stretched out, Lord God, we say, here we are. Send us, use us. Have your way, Lord, like never before. We trust you. And for that person that you want to give your life to Jesus, rededicate your life to God, just right where you're at, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteous acts. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross and you rose from the grave. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, for whoever said that prayer for the first time or rededicated either live or online, today they have made the greatest decision in their life because the decisions that they have made are going to affect the destiny that you have for their tomorrow. So, Father, solidify it right now as we begin to worship you. 
solidify it with the name, with the seal of the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus.